Hello, I'm Dan Hall. Making this show costs money. If you listen regularly, please consider subscribing to my Patreon page. The link is in the show notes. But if you can't afford to, that's no problem. Instead, maybe you could recommend the show to a friend. Now then, let's get queer and start the show. We were driving to rehearsals one night. I think it was the dress rehearsal and I was playing Johnny Casino, the guy who sings the hand jive. And we got greeted by a line of policemen who just basically was telling all the cars they had to do a U-turn and go back home. And I remember my mum my wound down the window and I was like crying to the policeman. I was like, but I have a dress rehearsal of Greece tonight. <laughs> this is In the Key of Q, featuring queer music, queer chat and queer stories from around the world. Everyone is welcome to the conversation, whatever beautiful identity pleases you. Music helps us feel connected and know that we are not alone. And do remember to join the conversation across socials using the hashtag Queer Music. I'm Dan Hall. Tune in and be heard. This week's guest was described by OK Magazine as the breath of fresh air we all need right now. His debut album, A Live Recording, shot to number two on the iTunes singer-songwriter charts in February 2019. Undeterred by the ensuing pandemic, he released his self-penned studio EP in August 2020. He has performed live internationally at Pride events and at the iconic Mighty Hoopla here in South London, near to where I'm speaking to you now. He hosted London's premier queer music night at Above the Stag in Vauxhall, and has deservedly won a prestigious LGBTQ Community Award. Conneth Kane, it's great to welcome you to the show. Wow, what an introduction. <laughs> you make me sound really cool. <laughs> well, you are. <laughs> well, I, I, I try. I wonder if you still think of me. I wonder if we were even meant to be. I wonder if I will ever see you again I wonder what, where, how, why, and when I wonder who holds you in the night I wonder if he holds you as tight I wonder if I will ever hold you I'm from a place called Lurgan in Northern Ireland. It's a very small town. Um, I have three siblings, two sisters, one brother. And yeah, it was pretty, pretty standard working class background in Northern Ireland. Um, definitely felt that my childhood was, um, you know, it, it, it was it was great growing up in Northern Ireland, but I definitely felt, you know, the the troubles were still bubbling. Um, I definitely knew from a very young age that I was gay, so I felt different um, in society and in friendship groups. So I struggled. I struggled in ways, and I definitely showed from an early age that I wanted to get to London and pursue a performing career of, of some kind. So this podcast is downloaded all over the world. And for those people who don't live in the United Kingdom, could you explain a little bit about what the troubles were? Well, I mean, I was 14 when the Good Friday Agreement was brought into action. 
And so you have to remember, just growing up, you were very well aware of the divide in society. Um, Catholics and Protestants in my hometown, there's literally an invisible line down the middle of the town. Catholics are on one side, Protestants on the other side. And like back in the day, like decades and decades ago in, you know, America, wherever across the world, when mixed couples were together, i.e. a white person and a black person, that was very much frowned upon in society. It, I mean, that was when I was growing up in Northern Ireland, if a Catholic person got with a Protestant person, that was frowned upon. It was, you definitely felt the divide and the separation in society. And it, it, I still believe it's there to this very day. And Brexit has definitely, you know, evoked a lot of that old trauma and division within society, which is a real shame. It has undone a lot of the good work of the Friday Agreement, which was a uh, peace treaty, um, which finally brought some kind of peace to Northern Ireland at that time, which was very much needed. I remember, you know, one of my friends' mothers was blown up in her car. She was a um, a solicitor. She was a lawyer and she was representing uh, an IRA man. And unfortunately, she paid a hefty price for that and she got killed. And this was a neighbor of mine. I'm talking, you know, maybe three or five or six houses away. Um, so stuff like that, you know, memories like that, my hometown got blown up into smithereens, um, one summer. Um, and I have, I, actually it's quite a funny story. It's quite a dairy girls kind of story. I'll never forget in the summer of 96, I was in an amateur production of Greece and it was a cross community production. So it was Catholics and Protestants brought together to perform an amateur production of Greece. And this was really great at the time. and. Uh, there was a lot of conflict happening in the town next to me, like serious conflict. And um, we were driving to rehearsals one night. I think it was the dress rehearsal. And I was playing Johnny Casino, the guy who sings the hand jive. And we got greeted by a line of policemen who just basically was telling all the cars they had to do a U-turn and go back home. And I remember my my mum wound down the window and I was like crying to the policeman. I was like, but I have a dress rehearsal of Greece tonight. <laughs> 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 I just remember being so traumatic and as a kid you know you just you don't understand the magnitude of what's happening outside the car you're just like oh no this this society is getting in the way of me just trying to live a normal life I just want to go to the dress rehearsal but because there's fighting happening I can't Did that, in a way, did that make it easier being a queer kid? Were there just so many other things to worry about that that wasn't a priority? Or does that, is that not really how concern works? It's just you simply had another piece of shit to bolt onto the one you already had. Well, you know, I, I always find that I was hiding behind some kind of shield, you know. Um, I remember I got into trouble by my mom once because, you know, I had to get new PE trainers um, for school. And I went to the other side of town in my uniform to buy the trainers. And 
my mom, you know, she told me off because I put myself in danger because I was wearing a uniform that suggested I was Catholic, which could have resulted in me getting a hiding or beaten up, you know, just things like that. So I remember thinking, oh, can I go here? Can I go there? Can I say this? You've spoken a lot there about about religion and about religious identity. And clearly, it was a huge part of your upbringing. Did that clash at all? With your queerness, you know, we've heard stories about people going to churches and having fire and brimstone hurled at them and, and feeling like not only did they have the risk of being rejected by their family, but by the church and community turning their backs. Um, you know, I was very nervous about coming out. And if you think about it, Northern Ireland has only achieved equal marriage in the past two years. You know, it's, it was, it's very much behind the rest of the UK and the Republic of Ireland. Republic of Ireland voted had a referendum in 2014, um, and they voted massively in favour of um, of equal marriage. You know that's we're cut. That's almost ten years ago. Wow! And, and so, and also in 2014, Scotland, Wales, and England achieved equal marriage, and Northern Ireland only got it in 2021 in paper. So it is. If you think about how far it is behind the rest of the UK and Ireland. You can imagine what it was like in the 90s, especially with the DUP in power, who who are just, you know, I think, you know, at the time they were a bit of a cult and they're so, they're, they're so right-wing. They make the Conservatives look like the Green Party, you know? Yeah, I seem to, I seem to have witnessed in my experience with the DUP is that they'll look at one legislation and go, that has to match exactly the rest of the United Kingdom there cannot be any other way. It has to be that. And yet other things like gay marriage, they're like, oh, no, no, we, we should have the right to autonomy and, and, and be separate. Uh, yeah, yeah. You just say, well, well, you can't have it both ways. And also, your hair's shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, that as well. But um, I, <laughs> yeah, I love that. I think, I think they definitely cherry pick and there's a lot of hypocrisy um, within that particular party and their... their they're they're following. Should have known from the start that you would break my heart. I had all this ambition and, and talent and I just wanted nothing more than to get creative. And that wasn't very possible where I was from um, to do that. So from a very, very early age, I spoke about wanting to go to London. Um, both my dad's siblings live in London. And so I used to go over and see my aunt quite a lot um, in the school holidays. So from a very young age, I would say from the age of seven or eight, I was, I had my heart set on coming to London. So I started auditioning for colleges in London when I was 15, 16. And I, um, I came over to London when I was 18. I got into Arts Ed School of Musical Theatre, which is the top conservatoire in, in Europe. And I got a place. Then I ended up going back to Ireland to do a reality TV show and my agent at the time called me and thought it would be a good idea and it was very much along the lines of those Andrew Lloyd Webber casting shows where um, he you know where 10 members of the public are picked and then the 
public vote for who they want to play the role in a musical. So I was one of the final 12 in Ireland's version and they were cast in Nick and Serena in the musical Fame that was going to premiere in Dublin and then do a big Irish tour. It sounds like you've managed to keep a relationship going though with both London but also your life back in Northern Ireland as well because you were involved in a TV show there when you called The Stephen Nolan Show. Oh, <laughs> oh, the Stephen Nolan show. You know, listen, I have to say Northern Ireland has, um, there have been lots of media outlets and radio shows that have been very supportive of me in the past um, and definitely helped showcase me as an artist. And I'm forever grateful for that. Um, that particular incident, the Stephen Nolan show is the, it's the biggest TV show back home in Northern Ireland. It's a bit like, I mean, I don't want to compare it to, it's, imagine, it's a bit like Question Time, actually, but they have an artist on, which is really strange. It's definitely a political talk show. And um, Stephen Nolan is probably the biggest journalist in um, TV host, uh, stroke radio broadcaster in Northern Ireland. And I got booked to perform on his show in September 2020. And I was asked to go on and sing Proud. I am proud of who I am I am proud of what I see And I did everything by the book. I, you know, I did my, my isolating. I didn't go near anyone. It was at a very fragile time when they were, everyone was testing all the time. And I was just really scared um, that I would get COVID and then not be able to perform on the show. Uh, but the day, uh, the day before, the night before, my publicist gave me a call and says, they've just cancelled you for tomorrow. And I just remember being really heartbroken and shocked and angry because not only do you then look like a liar because everyone you know is tuning in to see you tomorrow night. Um, I was like, oh, what am I going to say to people? You know, I'm, everyone's tuning in and, you know, I'm, I've put it all, you know, I'm, I've told so many people and what's the reason? And this has been in the, in the diary for weeks and months, like what is going on? And then they came up with some excuse that, um, I, oh, they didn't realize that you, it was number two in the singer songwriter charts. They thought it was the actual charts. Uh, so they're just discovering, actually the researchers just discovered that, you know, it wasn't the actual charts that you went to number two in. Also your YouTube views aren't, that high basically saying you're not high profile enough to go on the Stephen Nolan show and I got I got word of this less than 24 hours before I meant to go on and perform Cause when I look in the mirror I see me oh I see me and I'm proud of what I stand for and then the next day, I'm, so I'm at home in Northern Ireland and I tune in and I watch it live. And the special guest that they have on is, um, oh God, what's his name? He's from the DUP. I've just had a look. His name is Jim Wells. He is the most homophobic, outspoken hater of gays in the whole country. And I just thought, really, was it about YouTube views or was it about me singing a, an LGBTQ anthem in front of one of the most homophobic political figures in the country? And I will sing 
I felt really let down by the show, by the BBC, by everyone. How do you think we should react when people who are not in our community, when people who are not LGBTQ say, we have a right to tell you what to do consensually with your body, with your life? It's, it's quite nice, actually, to sit back and watch the DUP's very public demise at the moment. And I believe in karma. And the party are, they're insufferable in so many ways anyway. But I think that's really come into to light in, in public opinion in Northern Ireland for the first time in decades. I think the younger generation have a lot more confidence nowadays and they feel the urge to come out much younger. And I think... A lot of the DUP voters will realize that, you know, that maybe they have a nephew or a niece or a son or a daughter who is gay and therefore they can no longer vote for such a homophobic party. And for those people listening to this, uh, you've heard Conneth say a few times uh, the word unionist uh, or unionism. And what is meant by that is the DUP is a political party that very much supports the idea that Northern Ireland remains in the union with the United Kingdom. So that is remains to be a part of the same block as Wales, England, and Scotland. Whereas there are other political parties that celebrate Ireland coming together again as one country. So that would be Southern Ireland and Northern Ireland. And that's at the crux of a lot of the the political conflict. And what amazes me about the DUP is they're unionists. So they really want to be part of the, uh, the, the political and sociological systems of England, Wales, Scotland. They don't. They're kind of like, oh, well, we do want to be part of this, but not the gay bit. And it's like, well, sorry, sorry, you can't have it all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, I mean, you, can't, you can't pick and choose. Either come in and wear a wig or fuck off. Well, this is it. I mean, they, when the majority of Northern Ireland voted to stay within the European Union, their narrative was, and their line to the public was, well, it's a UK wide vote. Therefore, we have to go with the UK, which, which on paper is fact. But they didn't want to go with the rest of the UK on abortion, on gay rights, on gay marriage. So they do cherry pick. They do. It is, it is a very silly way of operating. And I, I think, I really do think that it's starting to come across in their, in their voting. You've been a fantastic supporter here in London of queer music. I myself have come to your music nights, which are brilliant. You know, you there's, I think, nobody better than you that chimes with what I'm trying to do with this podcast. So it's so wonderful to have you on. Uh, and you've continued to release music yourself, haven't you, in, in 2022? Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, do you know, well, 2022 was meant to be kind of my resurrection as an artist um, again and you know, I, I did a full album, well, a full EP this time with Seventh Heaven. And um, for those of the listeners who don't know who Seventh Heaven are, they are 
they're definitely a different sound for me and some of the other records I've released. Um, I d- they remix a lot for Steps and um, a lot of that, that kind of pop act they work with a lot. Um, and I just wanted to do something really fun, something upbeat. Um, I really enjoy their sound. We work really well together in the studio. So I released a record called Just a Dream in May of 2022. And, uh, you know, unfortunately this year, you know, a lot of my, uh, everything was kind of overshadowed by the unfortunate news of my mother's illness. My mother was diagnosed with cancer in 2021. So, and I'm very close to her. I'm extremely close to my mom. So that I just find that I was cu- trying to get my head above water after the pandemic. And then all of a sudden I get this really terrible news about my mom. And it's like, you know, when you come up above water and then someone just pushes you right back under, that's how it felt. And I actually took the news. I, I, I think I coped. I didn't cope very well with the news and I was, I very much struggled. Um, knowing that my mom has this killer disease and it was three days, two days before my album launched in London. And um, so we were waiting on a, on a date for my mom to go in for surgery. And I got the call and my mom says, I'm going in, um, tomorrow. Uh, and my album launch, I think she was going in on the Thursday and my album launch was on the Friday. So uh, my, my go-to was to cancel everything. And, you know, I, and I was producing everything, bearing in mind, I, I was producing the album, I'd funded everything. And, you know, I had 250 people come in and I had industry friends, you name it, they were coming. And I just, my immediate go-to was cancel, cancel, cancel. And my parents pleaded and begged with me to continue with the the launch and I just could not imagine going on stage not knowing that there was a possibility that you know this it was a very very invasive operation and actually the morning of the morning of the release of my album and the day of the launch my mother was brought into intensive care um so I my head was all over the place and I just remember falling to my knees and just crying my eyes. I thinking, I don't know what to do. I, sh- I should be on a plane, but if I go to Northern Ireland, you know, there's, my mom was only allowed one visitor a day for 15 minutes and, and that was my dad's place. And I, but yet I had this, you know, ringing in my head that they really wanted me to go ahead and do this. So I, the, my album launch and the release, and the following few weeks, I was touring up and down the country and around Europe. You know, I really was all over the place. I, I, I couldn't sleep. I was worried about my mom. She ended up being in ICU for two months. Um, so it was a really, really, really bit hard time for me. When I'm all alone, afraid of the unknown, my dreams, they seem so far away. I got a cloud in mind and hope it's hard to find. Sometimes I just sit and pray like a lotus flower. Now, one of the main reasons for me doing this podcast is to give queer musicians a voice. I feel as queer people, we are still silenced. We don't have access to the mainstream. We really don't. Not unless we're there as a joke or as entertainment. We're not really allowed to be grown up. So I wanted to have this podcast to give queer people a chance to be heard and have their voices and opinions listened to. So for the next two minutes, I'm not going to edit anything. 
even if you cough, even if you sneeze. The next two minutes is all yours to talk about whatever you like. It can be anything. And the clock will start when you do. Okay, so definitely as a, as a queer artist, I love nothing more than to encourage and platform other queer artists um, from our community. And that's why I started up Conless Queer Mike about 18 months ago. I really wanted to give other LGBTQ plus artists an opportunity to showcase platform and um, sing their material for new audiences and supportive audiences in a safe space. Unfortunately, the Above the Stag Theatre, as we all know, came to a very abrupt close in August of, excuse me, August of 2022. And what was becoming a really successful evening for queer artists in the city just vanished. Um, So now I am very much planning to relaunch that. I would want to create that community again. I want to connect with other artists. It's not just to perform our songs, it's to meet each other. It's to have the opportunity and the potential of writing together and supporting one another at our solo gigs, at our album launches, at our writing sessions, you name it. Um, And I think the bigger and louder the voices are of a collective, then we're definitely going to be heard more rather than just us all individually trying to find our place in the music industry and in London, which is really difficult. Conleth, what do you think your 15-year-old self would make of you in the music you're making? (laughs) I think 15-year-old Conleth would love my latest record. It's a bop. And I think, you know, what I love about my songs is that they are all very much um, anthemic songs that encourage and celebrate you. And I don't really write love songs. I'm very much about writing songs that encourage. I want to write positive, helpful, you know, encouraging lyrics that help people in dark situations. I think I've only got one love song on both of my albums. Um, The rest are very much... um, therapy songs i would say to our community i i think so many artists tend to just lean uh, towards breakups and relationship theme songs and i as an artist want to gear away from that and and sing about something new something different so i think if conleth were to hear proud 15 year old conleth were to hear proud or flourish which is another song on my album which is definitely a big kind of positive enlightened encouraging anthem i think he'd be really proud and he'd be really happy with what he heard we've been listening to your music all the way through this episode but we've been saving the best till last i think and uh I like to ask guests to suggest as our outro what would be a good gateway song into their catalogue. So for you then, what do you think would be a good song for us to listen to now, almost in its complete state, to really seduce people into your catalogue? Um, okay, so I would love people to hear Can I Go Back to Sleep. Um, I know we spoke a lot about Erasure earlier on in our conversation on Seventh Heaven. And this song has been, I wrote all the music, I wrote all the lyrics. And I think as an artist, I'm very much known for 
the guy who sings Pride or that Pride song, or that's the guy who sings the song of Prides or Pride, whatever. Um, Can I Go Back to Sleep is a full-bodied, well-rounded pop song that many people can relate to. It's about, um, it's about dreaming about someone or something all the time, but when you wake up, it's not there. So it's sometimes you go to sleep and it's our safe haven because we can dream about things that maybe aren't a part of our reality. So Can I Go Back to Sleep is a song about wanting to go back to sleep because you can find a gateway to go back and have that person or that thing in your life that doesn't exist in your own reality. I think that's uh, a lot of people will connect with that. Seven in the morning, I walk to your front door. I'm looking through your window, can't see you anymore. Seems a little different, something's not quite right. Everything starts fading, drifting out of sight. There's a light before my eyes. I start falling from the skies. A sharp breath. Conleth Kane, thank you very much for coming on to In the Key of Q. It's been lovely having you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode. Remember, you can support In the Key of Q via Patreon or alternatively recommend it to a friend. The theme music is by Pauline Edu at unstoppablemonsters.com with press and PR by Paul Smith. Help others discover new queer music by giving the show a review where you listen to podcasts. The show is made at Pup Media. I'm Dan Hall. Go listen to some music and I'll see you next Tuesday. Stop.